Welcome to this week's Eccentric Minute, brought to you by Eccentric. In this week's Eccentric Minute, we'll discuss another one of our foundational exercises, and that is the K-Pulley Leg Drive. To execute this, you're going to need to set some sort of support right out in front of you where you're going to be about under your shoulders and allowing your body to extend out at a 45 degree angle. From here, you're going to let your hips sink straight back towards the K-Pulley, and I want you to push as hard as you can with your feet to drive your shoulders up and out at a 45 degree angle by extending your hip, knees, and ankles. This is a great exercise to start training your athletes to be up off their heels and to drive through the ball of their feet and their big toe as we move forward in training. Give this one a shot, guys. I think this is one that you're going to love and your athletes are really going to enjoy. I really hope you enjoyed this week's Eccentric Minute. Make sure you check them out at eccentric.com to find out everything you need about the K-Box and the K-Pulley. Before we get to the show, let's play a little game of name association. When I say the names Hank Krasenhoff, Dr. Natalia Verkashensky, Brett Bartholomew, Dr. Charlie Weingroff, Dr. Brian Mann, and Dr. Fergus Connolly, what do you think? Well, if the answer to that was they each have multiple lectures in the Strength Coach Network, then you would be right. On top of these sensational lectures from these six world leaders, we have well over 100 additional lectures from some of the top practitioners in the world, along with an extremely active forum where there's coaches from all over the world discussing everything in the strength and conditioning world. So hop on over to strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, that's strengthcoachnetwork.com slash CVASPS, to dive into all that great content today and get your 48-hour trial for only a dollar. I look forward to seeing you in the Strength Coach Network. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I have the absolute pleasure of sitting down with the University of Michigan Strength and Conditioning Coach, Caitlin Haycock, to discuss transitioning into a new position and its impact on developing athletes. Now, Kate's going to dive right into discussing her progression up at Ann Arbor and these interesting transition points and some challenges that came along with them. Uh, Then we're going to start discussing her new role, you know, and how her previous roles impacted what she's programming now and and the major changes that she's observed with this next step in her career. You know, and then then with that, we also start talking about some of the, the rule changes with one of the sports she gets to work with, and that's field hockey. And how not only this impacts programming, but how this looks to impact, you know, the actual gameplay in and of itself and how this has really kind of spun a bit of what she's doing with that team uh, in a different direction. You know, then we finish off talking about some lessons that she learned working with swimming and diving and, and how this has really had a positive impact on, on how she's developing now field sport athletes and what are some real big takeaways that she took from her time working with Coach Bottom and, and the crew up there at, with uh, with Club Wolverine. Guys, this is really, really an awesome talk. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Kate, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, dude. I'm stoked for this one. We, we've just had some really, really good talk here running into this off camera. But before we get rolling into this, you know, who are you? How'd you get up to Michigan and, and what do you got cooking up there? Well, um, so I did my undergrad at Syracuse and did exercise science, um, realized pretty early on that I wanted to do strength and conditioning. 
Um, and then I'm originally from Michigan and I was looking around, I had a year of eligibility left for sport. And so I was just kind of looking around and I saw that they had GAs in the athletic department. And so my first idea was like, oh sweet, I'll be able to get a head start on being a GA and getting, um, some experience with coaching. I'll still be able to use my year of eligibility. Um, and then I got here and I was like, yeah, there's no way I can do a sport. I'm working a ton with the teams. I'm having a blast. Like I, I couldn't be an athlete and do this as well, but I'm okay with that. And, uh, started off, um, in August of 11 and have been here ever since did my GA, um, got my master's degree and then got hired on full time in August or April of 2014. Um, and it's, it's been kind of fun cause I've gotten to work with a variety of teams. Um, we have a great staff here. That's just, it's a blast to work with. Um, and I've had fun working with all the head coaches I've had the opportunity to, to work with and assistant coaches and everything. So, um, yeah, it's just been, it's been a blast. It's been, I can't believe it's been eight years really though. Time flies in the same spot for a while. I, I know that for a fact. Yeah. So you've been there for eight years though. And with that, there's been some transitions and there's one that's, mm-hmm been real recent and I think that this is an interesting topic that you know we talk about as coaches starting over in a new location because that happens all so often you know within what we do but moving around and starting over in the same place is something that happens quite often as well and can be almost more challenging so let's let's talk about this transition that you've been going through here for the past nine months. Um, so when I first got to Michigan, I started off with the men's swim team. Um, they weren't a combined program at the time. And so I did all the programming for them, um, up until to 2018 season. So worked with them through that point. And then in May of 2018, I transitioned off of, um, this women's men's and women's swimming and diving. Um, so as they kind of, as they combined, I took over diving as well and took over women's swimming, um, and so I worked with them for, um, for seven years and it was a blast. I loved it. Um, the teams were great to work with. It was fun to see during that time, the women's team, um, had a coaching change when they combined. So Mike Bottom became the head coach of both programs. And then, um, they ha- they were able to hire on a couple, um, an assistant and an associate head. And so working with all the different coaches was great, made some excellent contacts and friends and, um, I learned a ton from, from those coaching staffs. And, um, in May of 2018, I transitioned off working with swimming and diving. Um, they, I mean, it's, it's a pretty decent amount of, um, time commitment to work with the program. And this being my first job, I just spoke with my, uh, our director here, Mike Faber about, um, getting an opportunity to work with a few other teams, um, have some time to do that, to, to get some experience outside of swimming and diving. Um, and so we made that transition and I had always worked with women's soccer as well. Um, I assisted Mike with that for the first couple of years I was here. And then once I got hired on full-time, I took over the team fully. Um, so I had women's soccer and then three years ago I took over women's field hockey and, um, it's been a blast working with those teams And so this year, as I transitioned off swimming, um, I took a much more active role in assisting Mike with wrestling and men's tennis. Um, And coming from a tennis background, it was a lot of that. Um, In the first couple of years I was here, I actually spent a lot of time with the wrestling program as well. 
Um, and just as the responsibilities increased with swimming and diving, I kind of worked out of wrestling, if that makes sense. So it's been great to get back to both of those sports, um, and spend some time with them, getting experience with programming. Um, transitioning those is interesting when you're still at the school. Um, so I would still see the swimmers around. I'd still see the divers around. Um, and it was a challenge a little bit at the beginning to see, to set, kind of say like, it's not that I don't want to work with you or that I don't like working with you. It's more of a, I want to get a little bit more experience and time wise, I just don't have the opportunity to do that if I continue with swimming and diving. Um, so that was a little bit of a, a challenge that I wasn't anticipating. Um, but it's still great. I'll still work with the team when they need coverage and I still have a good relationship with the coaches. Um, and so it's, uh, it was definitely an interesting area to navigate, but I think we, we did a good job as a staff, um, making a smooth transition. But then moving from the interesting subculture that it is swimming and diving that we know all too well to a land-based sport, there's, there's quite a few changes but the two that you're, you're working in right now have some pretty interesting similarities and some pretty polarizing differences. So let's talk about how that programming-wise has been a challenge and where are some things that you've made some changes as to what you're practicing with these student-athletes. Yeah, so um, it was really interesting because I had... I had really delved deep into the world of swimming and diving and had done programming for that for a long time. And so coming back to the land-based sport, um, I still had done it with, with soccer, but my role with the team wasn't as integral as it was with swimming and diving and time-wise it wasn't the same, the same commitment. So, um, when we got the new coaching staff for women's soccer here in the spring of 2018, um, my role with the team increased dramatically. And so I had the opportunity to really work on some of those programming skills and um, really look at the demands and how, again, they are different from field hockey. And when I first started, I was like, oh, they're both field-based sports, both pretty similar um, in terms of they need aerobic, they need anaerobic, they need cutting, change of direction, all of that. Um, and the more time I've spent with each team, the more I'm really starting to see the differences. And um, understanding the skills and the strategies of both. Um, and especially with the change in field hockey rules this year to the four 15 minute periods. Um, I'm really excited to kind of see how, how that changes the demands in the field. We, um, we're fortunate to have the opportunity to have catapult. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how, um, how the tracking changes are different there, but, um, like aerobically soccer is a, has a much higher demand than field hockey does. They both have a, a, you know, a decent demand, but, soccer much more so, um, game characteristics are very different. There's a lot more sprinting, um, and change of direction within field hockey than there is in soccer, just because the field size is smaller. Um, and then also with, um, having a stick versus using your feet. So that's, that's different as well. Um, and then with sprint speed, there's, I mean, you'll have strikers, and forwards that do quite a bit of sprint work or need a lot of accelerative work during, um, for soccer, but for field hockey, it's, it's pretty much the whole team. Um, your back line, not so much, but, um, definitely need it for, for hockey. And then also too, with this change with the 15 minute periods, I think the pace of the game is just going to increase dramatically. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of see how, how it goes. And those are really 
differences that I hadn't anticipated as much. Um, but in working with them over time have seen, they are very distinctly different sports. Yeah. As a soccer guy who grew up playing, but has spent plenty of time in the hockey world. I think that the 15 minute quarter change probably next to that quick restart Mm -hmm. are probably the two biggest rule changes when it comes to changing sport um, that we've seen here in the last five, 10 years. Oh yeah. It'll, I mean, I'm really excited to see, I know they've been doing it on the international level, but I'm really excited to see how it changes um, the pace of the game and still even, it's kind of funny because watching um, like soccer, I hadn't, when I first started with soccer, I really didn't have much experience. I had like played as a kid and everything, but um, didn't really have much experience with it. So I'd watch from the sidelines and it was kind of this, the situation where I didn't really understand the strategy. Um, I didn't know really what formations we were playing. And so it was just kind of watching the ball move around the field. And so once I really started to understand those um, tactics behind it and sitting down with in film with the team and watching that going through what their strategy was during their pregame meals with them and um, getting an understanding, I could see it. But then when I started working with hockey, um, it was funny because a lot of the strategies were similar, um, but the pace was so much faster. I was like, it's, this is super exciting. So I think with the the change now, it's like, it's going to be a different level as well too. A hundred percent. And then looking then at how you've programmed through the other interesting scenario is that both teams are in camp at the same time. Yes. So let's talk about how that lead up, how there was parallels and how there were spots where there were deviations along the way with that, because obviously with the different games and all, but the same calendar type setup um, can work for and against each other. Yeah. So we, um, here at Michigan soccer, women's soccer begins a week before field hockey does. Um, so that helps quite a bit actually, because I get to spend that first week with testing, uh, women's soccer, getting a feel for, um, the players. I'm out at practices doing warm ups. Um, we get to start our lifts, get everything kind of rolling with them during that first week. And then the following week I get to do the same thing with field hockey. Um, and so, programming wise, they're both pretty similar. Field hockey will begin their lifting later than soccer does. Um, so we'll go a few weeks of preseason to really focus on some hockey skills. And I think part of that has to do with, um, fewer opportunities to play hockey over the summer competitively. Um, soccer, they'll still kind of go and join some teams and get play time and all that hockey. They really don't get as much time. So, um, they really like to dedicate those first few weeks to, to skill practice. Um, and then, so programming wise, it'll be several weeks behind for field hockey as far as the lifting goes. Um, the conditioning component um, will start. So working back from their summer packet, we the winter semester pretty much um, they kind of mirror each other. They're on the same same plan, not same program, but like time wise. Um, but once we start with the summer packet, so we'll go a little bit more off time where it's a little less structured with field hockey after the semester is over. Um, soccer will begin a little bit sooner because they start a week sooner. So, um, and we'll just kind of work there. So they're, they're usually like a week apart as far as the programming timelines go. Um, 
And then with soccer needing a larger aerobic base, we spend a little bit more time on that in the summer, um, building into that. And then because the, the demands are a little bit more leading or as they're going through preseason, because they're covering larger distances, we usually end up going, um, uh, a little bit longer of a taper period so much so, um, but other than that, it's, it's pretty similar. So then let's touch upon what that three-week period then with those women does because having a time period where they are so focused on skill work and they're staying out of the weight room is sensational, but that's also going to lead them right into games. And three weeks after getting here means they've got, what, probably another three weeks until conference play starts? So at least, yeah. Yeah. So how does that impact your decision-making process as you start to reintegrate them into the weight room? Yeah. So I think for that, what we'll do is, um, we don't have a huge, I mean, we'll lift, we'll do a, a pretty large lift, um, during the first part of the week and then either something on field towards the end of the week or in between games, um, for field hockey. And so in terms of kind of working them back into it, um, we do it slowly. And I think, their, their packet, they'll do lifting um, for their summer packet. They'll do w- lifting right up until preseason. So it's only like a three weeks isn't ideal, but it's not a huge time off. Um, so that reintegration process, we just kind of work them into it. Um, and we just kind of take it slowly. So it's a little bit different from soccer in terms of there's a little bit of a ramp up, but it's all relative to still being in season. Um, over those first few weeks. And then we kind of hang steady for most of conference play. And then before tournament time, we kind of drop them back down a little bit. Um, but we, we do have to get a little bit of uh, a ramp up period at that the first three weeks or so when they get back into it. Yeah. That's great. And then, you know, you're looking at these two sports again, back to the kind of the energy system work with it, with, with having kind of the unknown coming into this fall season with the field hockey squad, were there any changes that you made because of the rule where you were looking at it and, and kind of making assumptions based on how you've seen the game played in the past and then knowing there's going to be that break, I mean, before midway through the first half? Yeah, so we um... – I did modify their packet a bit, um, as far as that goes. And we did more sprint work, um, with a little bit more recovery. We decreased it kind of going as we got closer to, to push their, um, anaerobic capacity a bit. Um, but definitely had a little bit more emphasis on sprinting and speed in the last phase of the packet. Um, and we moved into some more speed work earlier in the summer than we have in the past in terms of, um, like before we would do more of an aerobic base, um, have like some more eight hundreds in there. Um, I kind of pulled those out a little bit earlier and worked some more of the shorter distance speeds, um, getting just more reps of that in, um, with longer recovery times. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, especially with the game, how they're going to be able to funnel in and out quicker to move faster, to recover quicker. Yeah, no, I love that. We'll see if it uh, if it holds up. <laughs> yeah, but we'll see. We'll find out soon enough. Actually, we'll know by the time this airs. Um, to be honest, because this will go out uh, towards the end of September. But okay, 
So now let's go back because we, we're, we're talking energy systems. We're talking building that at two different levels. And there's, you know, you used to work in a clock sport that all it is is energy system development. Yep. So let's talk about that. What things did you take from being there, you know, because you were with Club Wolverine too, right? Mm -hmm. So you were not just with the men and the women in Michigan, but with Club Wolverine. And for those of you that don't know who Club Wolverine is, just hit pause and go to the Google. Because um, that's, if you're in sport, you should know who they are. Um, let's talk about that. Let's talk about, you know, what, you know, Doc and Bottom and those guys, how did, how did they, and you know what, and I have to say, and Danielle Tanzel, um, <laughs> who you stole from me. Um, yep. And uh, how, how those people and their viewpoint on that development process of the energy systems has impacted you as a coach and where are some things that you've pulled along with you with these team sports? Yeah, that, I mean, that was an area being, um, I remember the first time they showed me the color chart for practice because I saw their practices and it was like blue and yellow, red and purple, brown. And I'm like, what, what is all of this? And so I learned a ton during those first couple of years, spending as much time as I could on deck and really getting a feel for how do they go about programming these and how do they periodize their weeks essentially so that they can get out of the athletes what they need to on the specific days. And, um, like what should a threshold workout look like? What, what does threshold feel like? Um, what does race pace feel like? Um, and so the, during those first few years, I learned a ton from them. Um, and coming over to, to field sports, I think, um, so it was, I'll never forget the day I was on deck and I was talking to Danielle and Mark and we, I, was, I was watching a sprint practice. And I was like, would you ever, ne like, would you ever negative split a 50? And I remember the two of them just started laughing. And like, no, you go all out as fast as you can. And the, if you're not slower on the back end, you did something wrong on the front end. And so, um, so taking from that, um, like looking at our shorter distance sprints for field sports, same thing. Or if we're doing shuttles, um, if you're faster coming in off that shuttle, like if you, if we do like same thing, if we do like out 50, like doing a hundred meter shuttles on 50. So go out 50, come back 50. If you're, if you're 50 coming back is faster you're not training it properly. So, um, really working with field sports to understand, okay, like what does your top end speed feel like? Um, what does a tempo pace feel like? What does a threshold pace feel like? Um, and so I think I learned a lot in terms of how do you get the athlete to understand what the level is? Um, and then also how do you go about programming it so that you're, um, you're doing it in an appropriate way according to, um, according to the demands that you're asking for that period. And then also using it to look at if I'm doing conditioning sessions after practice or I know they're going to be going into a practice, okay, I need to understand. So this is a big thing. It was the reverse for swimming. Um, I would want to know what their practices were so I could adjust their lift accordingly. For field sports, it's if we're doing conditioning, I need to know what your practice looks like so that I can adjust the conditioning accordingly or working with the coaches if we're in like an eight-hour period and saying, this is what I need to get accomplished in conditioning today. What's the best day to do it so that it complements your practice so we're not demanding too much of the, the athlete on one day um, so that they can carry out training well, they can carry out conditioning well, um, and make it through the week and stuff. So 
Um, I learned so much from the, the coaching staff for swimming and diving, um, during that time, as far as the, the energy system development went. Yeah. I think that people who have been able to stay in swimming for an extended period of time, take quite a bit of that understanding what it feels like, because I don't think that, I mean, not that land-based sports don't work hard. But when you're not able to breathe 80% of the time, things yeah. suck so much worse. <laughs> yeah. So like, like, like understanding like how much it like how everything's probably supposed to feel a little worse than you think it does. Yep. That's a great way to put it. Great way to put it. So then what's next now? Where with all of these changes and all of this moving forward? What's next for Caitlin? Where is this moving you professionally when it comes to where are you trying to push yourself when it comes to being better with the athletes you get to work with? So I think it's just continual education as far as how like continuing to learn so that I can put together the best program for the student athlete in a given sport that will help them reach their peak peaks and then um, perform well, right? Like, the goal is always to win championships at the collegiate level. And so what, what can I do on my end to really help each athlete get to the point where they can contribute to that if it's a team sport? And um, at the collegiate level, you still have individual performances and in the individual sports, but you're still working towards a team score. So, you know, what can I do on my end? How can I learn more on my end to help them reach that point and deliver the best program or write the best program? Um and that's from just the, the logistical side, but then also from a coaching standpoint, um, how can I connect with the student athlete to help them buy into the program that I've written? Um, how can I get, you know, just that little bit extra out of them during training sessions? Um, and that's definitely going to be more on, um, you know, like it's not the nuts and bolts of, of strength and conditioning, but it's people, it's relating to people and, and understanding how they function, how they tick. And so, um, I guess moving forward, taking, working each opportunity that I have to work with different athletes, different teams, taking advantage of it to really just add to the toolbox um, for both of those aspects of, of the job. I love it. I love it. Caitlin, can't thank you enough for spending the time with us today. This is absolutely sensational. Thanks for having me. I loved it. Yeah. Well, we'll be in touch really soon. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Jay. Thank you. And a huge thanks to Kate Haycock for spending the time with us today. Guys, just some open, honest, candid sharing from from a coach that's really doing some awesome work up there in Ann Arbor. I can't thank Caitlin enough for her time and being so open, honest, and candid with us today. This is absolutely sensational stuff. So, Kate, keep up the great work. It is 100% noticed. Thank you so much for your time and all you're doing to help coaches be better. And as always, guys, if you did enjoy the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. As always, we're just trying to get the best information out there to all the great coaches that we can. And as always, guys, thank you for everything you do for us here at Central Virginia Sport Performance. We'll be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.